Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. If you're in need of a pick-me-up, today's guest will come to the rescue with his personality and product. Abby Marcus is the president of Beyond Energems, dark chocolate energy supplements packed with caffeine so you can skip those run, runs to Starbucks. Welcome to the show, Abby. How are you? Good. It's really a pleasure to have you there. For those of you who don't know, uh, many of you don't, Abby and I, he's probably one of my first friends. We've been friends for many, many years. So truly excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And yes, you are maybe my oldest, oldest friend. True. <laughs> I'm not that old. No, I'm kidding. So, you know, what's exciting to me is that, you know, I tag you as like my friend who's a serial foodpreneur. Can you mm-hmm. tell me how did you get into this space? Yeah, I um so I started uh I did a business degree in Toronto and I initially took a very traditional route into tier one CPG. So I, I worked at Unilever and then I moved over to Shoppers Drug Mart, which is Canada's uh one of Canada's largest retailers and essentially kind of Walgreens in uh in Canada. And but I learned really quickly while being in numerous, you know, being deeply involved with um numerous um, quality packaged good companies that I, I was really much more of an entrepreneur and I made the decision to leave what was a very traditional and secure route and I found myself a business partner and in around around 2007 I launched my first um, food brand uh, which was actually an organic loose leaf tea called Nourish Tea and uh, we grew it nationwide across key counts and I learned really quickly that um, it wasn't that I was necessarily only in the tea category, but really what I was doing was entering this natural foods ecosystem. And uh, and I never looked back. And definitely ahead of the curve there, because you said 2007. Uh, that's true. Actually, when we launched Nourish Tea, it was essentially around the same time that uh, tea was just starting to become more and more um, significant and prevalent in the marketplace. Tivana was growing and David's tea here in, out of Canada was growing. And um, what we wanted to do was really, you know, provide a much more affordable and accessible route to organic loose leaf tea. So rather than, um, you know, spending X dollars for, you know, a tin of 100 grams of organic rooibos, um, you can find it at, uh, you know, at your nearest drugstore at Walmart. And, and uh, it was really successful in that respect. That's amazing. What other food ventures have you been involved with, past, present, future? So obviously, as you know, um, I run an, uh, uh, this caffeine-infused dark chocolate energy product called Beyond. And that's, you know, this is really what I've been doing now for the past five or six, five or six years. But after Nourish Tea, it was acquired in 2011, I think, completed the acquisition around 2013. And for a while, I stayed involved. I actually took it to the Northeast of the United States. But then I've kind of been involved with as an advisor or consultant on a few different lines. I was involved with a protein bar and a stevia. I am 
currently involved with the development of a, a toddler formula coming out from overseas into the North American market. Uh, so I've kind of had my fingers in a few areas. Um, and like the nice thing about the natural food space is that in many ways, like I said, it really is an ecosystem and your the skills and the network is really transferable. So it enables you to kind of, or, or rather it enabled me to be involved in, in and, you know, we kind of talk about that you're an entrepreneur. So I'm going to ask you, what's the most challenging part of being an entrepreneur? And what's the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur? That is a, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, I never, I, actually, I should rephrase that. Actually, I, I have always really known inside that I'm much more of an entrepreneur. It's a light, it's not just a, a, a way of life and a way of, of conducting business, but it's, uh, it's, it's a decision on how you want to conduct your career. Um, going the traditional route is obviously um, provides you with certain benefits uh, mm -hmm. that I was willing to uh, to, to overlook. It's uh, I, I don't think I could ever look back. I really enjoy what I do. I um, it, it's given me the ability to um, participate and be involved with numerous categories and numerous brands and. Um, my network is vast and it's been a lot of fun. I will say that, you know, people like Sherry, why do you like work so many hours? And the truth is, it's like people think like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You're working so many hours because that's just the part of being an entrepreneur. But I love what I do. Like when you yeah. create what you do, it's hard not to love it. Right. A hundred percent. You're so right. And, I, and I'll also tell you that, you know, when once Nourish Tea was acquired, I had that fork in the road where I was really wondering if I should just go back to the traditional route. And uh, I knew really, really quickly that uh, I, I could not change the direction I'm on right now. No, that makes sense. So tell me about Beyond. Like what's the product line, the flavors, the everything? So Beyond is a caffeine-infused dark chocolate product. It's a blommer dark chocolate. It's a really beautiful product that, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of that, you know, a, a almost like a, an M&M on steroids in terms of <laughs> what it looks like. Um, but really, it's uh, it's not a candy. It's closer to, uh, to a supplement. It's got, um, it's a vitamin-infused BD complex, turmeric in the shell, dark chocolate, caffeine-infused with 133 milligrams of caffeine per serving. And, um, you know, the efficacy is really strong. People who enjoy it really... Um, the, the feedback we receive is that they really get that caffeine boost that they're looking for. We, in many ways, also were a bit of, a, I've been lucky to be involved with some lines that are really ahead of the curve. This is our own formulation. Um, we created it about six, seven years ago. Um, Beyond used to be called Energems, where um, you found us in, in grocery and drug. And when I came on board, I, I um, read, you know, kind of reformulated or reformatted how we do business the, the team re, um, rebranded the, the product as Beyond. The idea is to be on your game. Um, it's a product that really resonates with the female demographic and we do exceptionally well online. And I say that because this is the energy category traditionally has been really male skewed. You'll find us in hospitality uh, portions of convenience and that being hospitals, airports, train stations, et cetera. You'll find us in traditional C stores, but where we really perform well is, is online. And so I think that like everyone, what's going on because of COVID with online? Like what has shifted for you from retail to online? You know, just like 
just like everyone else, I think that we were kind of um, kind of gears, you know, deer in headlights, so to speak, when COVID hit, because um, we we all had to reassess, you know, where our business is going. We had actually just gone through a real uh, successful exercise of understanding our customers through data. So historically, we had all we had always um, been lucky enough to you know to really uh, dig deep into our data and understand who our customers are and where you know where they are and what they do. It's it's tougher in retail to really get that understanding unless you're you know you're acquiring the data. We had just gone through this exercise to determine really where we perform best, what parts of the store, what type of formats of stores, and then um, and then COVID hit. So suddenly, you know, retail took a dive and we've been, you know, fortunate that while retail took a dive, e-commerce improved. Um, you know, we were up two, three, maybe four X at one point. It's all, it's obviously stabilized just mm-hmm. like it has for everybody. We are now, you know, we've, we've reassessed and now we are rebuilding our, our Amazon. We've created a storefront on Amazon and we are tearing down our subscription program on lovebeyond.com, which I have, should mention is our website and we're rebuilding it. And now different marketplaces are, are you know, you're going to find us on uh, not just your, you know, Lucky Vitamin and Walmart and Kroger Marketplace, which is launching shortly. Um, we we know where we perform well, and and um, I, I would like us to put more and more resources into e-commerce. So Amazon. Yeah. Let me let me ask. I'm not an e-commerce person. <laughs> are you afraid of Amazon? Like. What I hear from a lot of our partners is like, oh, we have a product and now Amazon is copying us with like a generic brand that they just put up there. Is that of a concern to you? Uh, you know what? On the contrary, I am so very not afraid of Amazon. I think Amazon is a, it's, it is a Titanic. You, you know, it's, uh, it's a large animal that you have to learn how to operate within. Um, but I'm really excited about what Amazon has provided for us right now and for brands everywhere. I mean, if you think about what Amazon was 10 years ago, today we have really the tools. For, first of all, I should also say that unlike many other brands, um, we really focus our attention on, on conversion as opposed to impressions. So we're, we are less about visit, you know, getting as much visibility as possible. And you know, the way that we conduct our e-commerce is to convert as quickly as possible. And in order to do that, we have to really understand who our customers are and target them effectively. And there's this there's this perception that it's hard to do that on Amazon. You you need to, you need to do that through your own e-commerce platform. And what we are learning more and more is that the tools are that are available to us today through Amazon really gives us that ability and and that mobility. And um, it's been an amazing for me. This has been as a brand person. Uh, I'm learning more and more about e-commerce, and I'm so excited about the learnings I'm. I'm getting now, um, and and Amazon's really giving us that high conversion um, ability through targeted ad spend, and um, yeah. So, so the short, I guess that's the long answer. The short answer is that um, I think that we should be really leveraging Amazon um, much more than we are. And I don't know if you're allowed to answer this, but what percentage of your business pre-COVID was coming from Amazon and post-COVID? Like, well, during COVID, like, is it like how much of a driver is Amazon for you? You know, before COVID, when you look at the multiple verticals in e-commerce, again, that would be our own subscription platform and then your marketplace and then Amazon. Amazon was probably always 50 to 60% of our sales online. And that, and if you think about it, that makes sense because customers 
Um, we're, we are so trained to be comfortable with Amazon. We know who we're, we know where we're paying. We know it will be shipped on time. We know where um, we can track uh, the the you know it will never go down. There's just a legitimacy and a comfort level with Amazon that you can't be, that's that's immeasurable. So it, it's it's in no way to me surprising that customers are more comfortable buying on Amazon than on our platform. Not that they shouldn't, but just generally. And it's when you look at the data, it 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 clearly comes through. Fascinating. I want to start learning more about this too. So I'm going to pick your brain in the future about everything that you're learning. So one of the things we have in common is we are both Canadian and I'm just fascinated also with the Canadian marketplace. For you, what is it like being a food marketer that does work with US and in the US and international, but is based in Canada? What are the pros and cons of you know, being in Canada? Well, you know what, the Canadian market, I mean, it's it's our backyard and um, it's where I cut my teeth and especially now during COVID, I mean, it goes without saying, <laughs> considering we can't cross the border, uh, <laughs> but but the market is finite. Um, the, you know, the reality is, is that for Canadian brands to really succeed in the grand scheme of things, I, I really believe that you have to kind of begin here in the Canadian market and understand it and, and, and learn and succeed and um, and then bring it over to the U.S. market. Um, it's obviously easier said than done. Um, but but what I have you know what I have learned is that that is the route that that is the 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 strongest, most logical route for growth and path to profitability. And let's face it, there's a the path to profitability for small businesses and natural foods is hard to find. Like it, it, it it's it's not an easy route. Um, so if you are ready to, you know, once you are well capitalized and you, and you have the data to prove the units per store per week, it's a lot easier to have that conversation in the U S mm-hmm. um, but it's a big deal. And in regards to American brands coming to Canada, there's all sorts, you know, even though it's a much smaller market and in theory, it should be a territory. Um, there's a lot of compliance you have to deal with, right? We are, we are a bilingual country. So our packaging must be bilingual. And if you are a natural product or a supplement, you have to deal with Health Canada for registration. Um, there are all sorts of intricacies and they all take time. And I think you'll find a lot of, for that reason, you'll find a lot of American brands stay away from Canada or at least without putting too much resources into Canada until they really can determine it's the right thing to do. And it goes both ways. It's so frustrating. I think I've mentioned this to you in the past because when I did work at Weight Watchers, I kind of championed that we would get the foods into Canada and so many yeah. of them had never been in Canada and the even the promo books and everything. And finally we did it, but what, so it's frustrating that so many brands don't do it. But what is amazing is that when Canadians finally get something like that, they're so completely loyal because they just get, are so excited that they got it. You know what I mean? You know, it's interesting that the planet, like if you look at the the general planograms and grocery and drug, and they, they almost feel identical. And so the larger brands that have the wherewithal and the capital to, to play in both markets, that really comes through. I think where we all lose as consumers is that the smaller brands, where often is really the exciting innovation, that's, you know, it's something, you know, sometimes I'm down in, in, in New York or Florida and I just see this brand I wish we'd have on the shelf, you know, yeah. you know, and, and I'm sure, and I can tell you as a Canadian that we have some incredible innovation here that, you know, unfortunately might never get to the U S market. And I hope they do. What is some of that innovation? 
I think that you're going to find it in, um, you'll find it in baked goods and you'll find it in beverages. If, you know, there's some really wonderful protein bars here. Now, again, the protein bar category is massive and saturated, but mm -hmm. you know, everywhere you look, you're finding some really great entrepreneurship here. Now, my next question, Expo West, biggest natural food show. Were you supposed to be there this year? Because I know the cancellation was devastating and would love to get your thoughts on how it impacted the industry. You know what? We were all supposed to be there until the very last minute. I remember I was apprehensive to cancel my flight. And then, um, you know, and then it all came crashing down on everybody. So uh, I think it will be, I think it will be missed but I think that we will all prevail and survive. Expo West is an exciting event. And I think that um, in some shape or form, we all want to be there. I will say this as, a, um, as an entrepreneur, but also as um, you know, the person who, who you know, so to speak, quote unquote, owns the brand. Um, one thing I've learned about Expo West is if you are from the East, if you are from the Northeast or from Canada, until you're ready to be at Expo West, you, you, you might not get the, the return that you're looking for, meaning that just showing up and just being there doesn't necessarily give you what you're looking for. I would highly suggest that if you're preparing yourself for Expo West, make sure that you have the proper infrastructure in place so that if, you know, if, if, if business is conducted in a way that you suddenly have an opportunity, that you have uh, the manpower you have the three PL you have a you you have a distributor that you can name. Um, I think that we're all so excited to be there that sometimes we don't prepare appropriately for it. Yeah, yeah, it's massive. <laughs> yeah. I remember not Expo West, but when I went to CES, I was like, it, it was so overwhelming. I yeah, and it doesn't help that that one's in Vegas. So right. So you know, obviously, you know, we Babelbox is an influencer marketing company. So tell me. I don't know if you do, but what experience do you have working with influencers? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting story, actually. Um, you know, to go back to what I was saying earlier, that we are, the culture of our company has been much more about data and about conversion and less, a lot less more about, about impressions. So while we believe in the importance and the, and the success rate of um, influencers, it wasn't necessarily something that we had um, planned effectively for. And then we had a, a really large opportunity about two, three years ago, we, an influencer uh, approached us and um, it, it was, uh, I have to say without naming names, uh, it, was a, it was a big opportunity for us. And uh, we went down the road and what we learned really quickly is that we had um, the influencer, the, the power of this influencer was so enormous, but it actually was not necessarily on brand, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily the the route we would have gone, and it, it it opened doors into while we should have been focused predominantly on health and fitness, we suddenly found ourselves in arts and arts and culture and hip hop and etc. <laughs> um, it was uh, it, it was one of those learning experiences where we just all felt it was the wrong fit, both sides. So ultimately, after about five six months, we decided to sever relations, and in hindsight. I think it was the right decision because I think influencer market, it, marketing, it really has to be, for it to be effective, for you to get the return, it needs to be the right fit. Right. Well, yes. it sounds like you made the right choice there. I, I think we did. I think we did. Um, it was, uh, it would have been, it would have been really exciting, but exciting doesn't necessarily mean what, the right decision. 
So why do you think for other brands, I know you're not there yet, but in the natural food space, why do you think influencer marketing has been so critical? You know what, Nat, you know, again, if we think back a decade or so, natural foods was um, a lot less mainstream. And today, um, especially today, given COVID, if you think about it, we just really care about what we put in our bodies. We read labels. We want to talk about it. We want to share opinions. We want legitimacy. Um, and I think influencers, you know, good influencers, the strong ones, the legitimate ones, they provide us with that authority that I think we're craving today. And um, and I think it's, it, it clearly shows that in, in the growth of the industry. Awesome. Well, I'm going to end with my final question, which I ask everyone. So name an influencer you love to follow, but hate that you admit, hate to admit that you do. Okay. <laughs> um, you know what? That's a, that's a tough question. I'm actually going to say that, I, okay, well, let me, let me say, let me back up a little bit. We know for certain who our customers are. And I can say that because if I look at our data, which I look at constantly, uh, <laughs> We, we are, one thing that, that differentiates us, I think, from other energy products is that we highly resonate with women. And I'm going to tell, tell you a secret, which is obviously no longer a secret, considering the airways that we're on. You know, we thought we were going to be 50, 55% female um, who, who purchased our product, and we are closer to the 80%. Wow. Which is huge. You know, this is, an, this is a category that has been predominantly driven by beverages and shots. And now you're starting to get into the mints and gum and, and chocolate. We also obviously focus heavily on fitness. So I will tell you that I love Serena Williams. I think that she is um, a goddess. And um, I'd say that if I could have one influencer to represent beyond, it would be her. Maybe you should send her some product. You know what? I think I might. <laughs> um, I'll try to help you get her address. Well, thank you, Abby, so much. It was so lovely to have you today and happy new year. It's the Jewish high holiday this week. So thanks for tuning in everyone. And um, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babelbox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.